Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Well, my name is John Guy, and uh, as was, I mentioned this morning, my wife and I, my wife Amy, we've got three boys and a fourth one coming. Uh, we are now located in the Tempe, Arizona area, and we are starting uh, the City Point Baptist Church. If you get a chance, check on our website, citypointaz.com. And uh, by the way, if you know anybody in that area, a couple of folks were coming up to me this morning and uh, mentioning different people that they know, relatives or ex-coworkers or just people that, uh, friends, uh, family members and so forth, uh, we would love to reach out to them if they're looking for a church, if they know the Lord, if they don't know the Lord, however we can be a help. We, we want to do that. And uh, we are very much interested in going there to share Jesus with people. And so that's why we're there. So that's not an inconvenience in any way to us. And so uh, please let us know. And again, if you, uh, if you come across someone or know someone, you can send them to our website and they can kind of check out what, what's going on there. But uh, we are uh, planning to launch City Point Baptist Church on February 10th, 2019. It's the Sunday after the Super Bowl. And so between now and then, you might say, well, what are you doing? Uh, well, over the next four months, uh, we, have, we have started a Bible study. We've, we've uh, hosted that in our home four, four weeks in a row now. Uh, we've had seven different families come to that Bible study from the community. Uh, people that we've, we've uh, the Chinese lady I mentioned this morning, I knocked on her door. Uh, we've had some college students, one from GCU has come. Uh, we've had a family that one of our team members met uh, as he was traveling from Phoenix to Austin for his job. He sat next to the guy on the plane. And uh, that guy came to the Bible study a, a week or so afterwards with his family and uh, doesn't have a church there in the, in the Scottsdale, Phoenix area. Um, and so the Lord is already beginning to assemble some people through that Bible study on a week-to-week -week basis. And then next Sunday, October 14th, a week from today, we will have our first preview service. And uh, a preview service is an actual service. Don't let the name fool you. Uh, it is an actual church service. We have been planning for several weeks now with our team, purchasing equipment, purchasing signage, getting things ready for our children's uh, facility there that we're renting. We're going to have to really outfit that whole facility. What we've done is we've rented, we're renting two facilities. Um, and maybe it's a little, um, a, a little unorthodox in some ways, maybe not your typical Baptist church setting. But we are going to be renting on a comedy club in downtown Tempe. Why did everybody laugh? It's my once a week stand-up act, okay? You know what I, no. But we're going to be renting out uh, the Improv Comedy Club. And uh, we, we had searched, we had looked at, um, we had looked at high school auditoriums, we had looked at movie theaters, we had looked at uh, hotel ballrooms, we had looked at, uh, there's a museum there that had kind of a theater auditorium. We looked at all, at all of it and everything was just, we were coming up short. Uh, there was a reason behind everyone why it wouldn't work. And I kind of got to the end of all of my options and uh, I went back to kind of the drawing board and, and, and I'd heard of one church that, that uh, recommended looking at comedy clubs. I thought, okay, let's figure it out. So I typed in Tempe Comedy Club, and sure enough, the improv showed up, popped up there on Google. And, uh, and so I called them, just called the, called the event coordinator, and he said, oh, we've done that before. We'd love to partner with you. And uh, he, he gave us a rate at about a third the price of what they normally rent out. And I thought, boy, this is great. This is such a great venue. There's only one problem. We don't have any space in this venue for children because it's just, it's just a lobby and an auditorium. That's all it is. 
they have, they have a 7.30 p.m. show at this comedy club, and so it was wide open in the mornings. They loved the idea. It was a great venue. It looked like a good spot. It's centrally located. It's a crosswalk away from ASU. So if you know any ASU students, tell them they can walk to church on Sunday. I mean, it is right there. It is downtown in the very urban heart of Tempe. So we're like, okay, we want to do this, but where do, we do, where do we put our children? And so I went by the venue, and I saw that there was a restaurant next door. And, and so I Googled this restaurant, and turns out they're closed on Sundays. So I thought, okay, well, let's just give this a shot. So I called the restaurant owner. I said, hey, I don't know if you've ever had this request. I don't know if you've ever done this, but we're a church coming to the area. And we're going to be renting the Improv, which is about five steps away. Their front door is about five steps away from, from this restaurant. I said, would you mind if we rented and just cleared your floor space and pipe and draped and just had kids meet in there? And he's like, well, let me think about it. He's like, what's the going rate? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I said, I've, I've never done this. You've never done this? So uh, about a, a day or two later, I was starting to get nervous because I hadn't heard from him. And so I sent him a text. I said, hey, how about this much money? It's about the best I can do. And I didn't hear from him for about another two days. I thought, oh, man. Well, sure enough, about two days after that, he texted me back. He said, my wife and I talked about it, and we'd like to do this. We, we would like to rent our facility. He said, Sunday's our day off, but we'll come in and open up the facility for you. And so a couple weeks later, one of, two of our guys, Craig Parker and Mark Rasmus, and Mark had, was flying through, and Craig picked him up from the airport on a layover and brought him over to the venue, and they were checking out both venues. And the owner's wife was there, and she was so excited that her restaurant was going to be used for children's ministry. And she said, my husband's not going to like this, but I'm going to come serve in children's ministry on Sunday. Sunday's our day off. That's why her, her husband wasn't going to like it. She, he's, she said, my, our, our restaurant's called Sammy D's. It's named after their two boys. I don't know what their second boy's name is, but it starts with a D. She said, we love kids. I was raised in church, and I want to serve in this children's ministry that's meeting at our restaurant. And so God has just given us those, those facilities there, uh, and I believe the location is, is really key. Uh, I, I really believe God is going to give us a unique ministry to college students there. Just today, our team went to a church there locally, and uh, my wife, of course, was, was with them. And one of, one of the boys who's, I say boy, he's a young, young, young adult, uh, he's a freshman at GCU, Grand Canyon University, which is about 15 or 20 minutes from our venue has been coming to our Bible studies, and he brought two Catholic girls to church today from Grand Canyon University, and they're going to come. Uh, they've committed to come next Sunday to our service uh, there at City Point. And so God is already beginning to do a work. Uh, God is already beginning to assemble a team. So we have our core team, who are the three families that have come with us, and then we're building a launch team around that. The launch team are the people who live there locally. Um, and we've just been meeting them through the Bible study, and some of them are saved and some of them are not. But we're going to say, hey, would you help us launch this church? And they're going to have no idea what they're getting involved in. But they're getting involved in a church, the body of Christ. They're going to be getting around the body of Christ. And we are going to be very intentional in those relationships, uh, sharing the gospel with them and, and, Lord willing, reaching them with the gospel. And so we're, we're super excited. I kind of got off on a rabbit trail there. I could probably talk all night about some of the dreams and hopes and desires that we have for City Point. But we appreciate a church like this praying and supporting believing in us and getting behind us. And uh, sometimes when, when we may feel that, you know, we, we may get a little discouraged or we may even feel like we're lacking some hope, 
or some faith. Uh, we're standing on your faith and we're standing on your beliefs and we're standing on your prayers and you're supporting us and you're encouraging us. And so thank you for that. And uh, I look forward to reporting to Pastor and kind of sending an email uh, every month or so and, and just kind of letting you as a church family know what God is doing there. And so just wanted to kind of bring you up to speed on some of that and share a little bit more about what God is doing there. Well, tonight we're going to be in the book of Acts, the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 4. The book of Acts is, is, I guess you could say this about any book of the Bible. It's just such a great book. There's so much going on in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a transitional book. We are moving from the life and ministry of Christ. Actually, the very first verse of the first chapter of this book talks about all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Luke the physician is writing to Theophilus and he's saying that the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, the former treaties being the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So Acts is really a continuation of the book of Luke. It's a continuation of what Jesus began both to do and teach. And so the disciples in the book of Acts have been commissioned by God to continue on the foundation, and of course Christ being that cornerstone and the foundation of what Christ laid in the Gospels, the message, the teachings, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, they are, they are, they are living out that message, they are preaching that message, they are propagating that message, and the church is beginning to flourish. And so when we get to the book of Acts, we see these disciples specifically in Acts 3 and 4, where we're going to be tonight, Peter and John. We learned a little bit, talked about Peter this morning, and uh, same guy. And so here's Peter and John, and uh, we're going to get into Acts chapter 4 in a minute, but I want to give you just a little bit of backstory. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go into the temple, and as they're on their way in, they meet a man who is lame. He's asking alms, he's, and, and uh, he's, he's, he's trying to make a living that way and earn some money that way and, and receive some benevolence that way. And Peter says, hey, I don't have any money, but I can give you something better than that. And he heals him. He heals, he heals the, the lameness in his legs, and this man gets up, and he goes into the temple, and Peter and John follow him, and you can imagine... I mean, talk about a sermon illustration, you know, about the power of God. I mean, here's this guy, a living and breathing example of the power of God and what he can do. And many in that temple in Acts chapter 3 believe because of the sign, because of, because of that unique ability that God gave to Peter to heal that lame man. Well, the religious people didn't like it. They usually don't like it when God starts doing things, by the way. And so at the end of Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are arrested and they're put into prison. And then in Acts chapter 4, they're brought out the next day before the religious leaders. And that's kind of where we pick up this story in Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 5. And it came to pass on the morrow, the day after this lame man is healed, that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander... And as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Verse 7, And when they had set them, speaking of Peter and John, in the midst, they asked two questions. By what power or by what name have you done this? Referring back to the lame man. By what power, what's the authority 
by what name have ye done this? Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. By the way, the Holy Ghost had just recently been given permanently to believers at the day of Pentecost. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit of God is always going to be to promote Jesus. That's what he does. And the Holy Spirit indwelling in us is drawing us to the righteousness of Christ that is within us. The Holy Spirit is constantly promoting Jesus. And so that's what happens. Peter, now filled with the Holy Ghost, is going to promote Jesus. Here's what he says unto them. Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he has made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. By the way, they were asked two questions and they, and they gave one answer. By what name? By what power? Jesus. Same answer for both questions. This man whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which is set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Verse 12, a beautiful verse. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Here's our text, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now, I don't know about you, when I read the Bible, I ask myself questions, and I want to know, what gave away the fact that Peter and John were unlearned and ignorant? Was it their clothing? Was it their poor grammar? <laughs> was, it, was it maybe a lack of hygiene? I don't know. My mind just starts to kind of spin a little bit. But something about these men, it was very obvious, these were not religious, elite, learned men. They were unlearned, and they were ignorant. But yet there was a power and a boldness that could not be denied. A power and a boldness that was otherworldly. It was supernatural. It was not of themselves. They marveled and they took knowledge of them. Here's their verdict. Here's their conclusion about Peter and John. That they had been with Jesus. What's the difference in Peter and John? What gives them this boldness? What gave them this power. Well, here's what the religious leaders concluded. These men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. Jesus had changed their lives. You know, Jesus is in the business of transforming lives. Jesus is in the business of transformation. And he does it through his connection with us, through the relationship that we have with him. And not only does he want to transform us permanently through his death and resurrection, but he wants to continually be transforming us. In other words, you and I should not be the same people today that we were a few years ago. We, we should not be the same people five years from now than we are today. God is continually transforming us and conforming us into the image of himself. I want to pray together, and then we're going to talk about this matter of when you've been with Jesus. When you've been with Jesus, let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for the work of Christ. We thank you for the power of the cross and the, the resurrection. And thank you that the living Christ is now within us and his power is at work in us. And just 
as the Holy Spirit gave boldness and power to Peter and John, your Holy Spirit is alive and at work. The same Spirit of God is working in us today. And I pray that as people look into and look at our lives and observe the way we live, that they would draw this conclusion that we have been with Jesus and that your transformative power would be noticed in our lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had a relationship that has changed your life? Maybe it's been a friend. Maybe it's somebody who's influenced you. Uh, if you're married, no doubt your spouse has changed you. Um, we, we, I've been drinking a lot of coffee since I've come up here to Washington, and that's, uh, that is, uh, I enjoy that. I like coffee, and part of that reason is because of my wife. When my wife and I started dating, I wasn't a coffee drinker. She was. And so she has changed my life forever because I'm now a coffee drinker. But I'll tell you, one of, the, one of the relationships that has changed my life forever is my relationship with my children. My role as a dad. I mentioned we have three boys. We have a fourth one coming. And I'll tell you, those kids, those boys have taught me a lot of things. They've taught me a lot of things. Um, I've learned how to fix broken sprinklers because of my boys. Um, our, our third, Dylan, who he's, uh, he's three years old, he'll be four uh, next month in November. He is our hands-on. He wants to be there. He wants to have a tool in his hand. He wants to help fix something. He wants to help do something. The problem is, in the process of helping to do and fix, he usually breaks something even more. And so I've gotten really good at fixing his messes. Um, inevitably, you know, he's, he's come out from, my, from, from our bathroom and he's had like my wife's makeup all over and permanent marker and, you know, I've learned how to get those type of things off of skin and I've learned how to, how to fix drywall, I've learned how to fix screen doors. Um, it's amazing. One time it got quiet in our house and that's always a bad thing. And it was just for a brief moment, but it was long enough and uh, about, the, about the time we realized that it was quiet, I started to ask my wife, where's Dylan? Where's Dylan? And, uh, you know, the other two boys were playing with Legos in the playroom and occupying themselves. And so I went out to the garage and I found Dylan. And Dylan had gotten into our paint cabinet and he had found the spray cans and uh, he picked gray and he got it all over the concrete floor and he got it all over the door of the garage and all over the wall. And sure enough, as he was turning, he got it all over the car, too. He even got it in his hair. But uh, I've learned a lot of things. I've learned that acetone will get spray paint off the front bumper of a car. It also takes the clear coat off, but uh, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> but I've learned a lot of things as a parent. That, that relationship with my kids has changed my life forever. I have learned that an iPad makes a tremendous babysitter. <laughs> you, you parents who've raised your kids and, and you didn't have an iPad, you are my hero. I don't know how you did it. I'm going to confess my faults to you. I'm not a great parent. I've just learned that this thing can, can entertain them for a long time. And whenever we're at our wits end, we just we give them the iPad and it just it does a great job at parenting. <laughs> I've learned as a parent that vacations are less about where you go and who you go than, than who you go with. I've learned that even a small nightlight in, in, in our child's room can make the biggest difference in their heart just to secure and, and comfort them as they go to bed. I've learned a lot about the grace of God and the patience of God with me as I have been convicted even of my own shortcomings toward my children. And God has said to me, that's, that's not how I am toward you. And I want you to be a reflection of me to your children. And 
I've learned so much from my relationship with my children. The more you get to know Jesus, the more that relationship should change you. I'll tell you, if, if you don't like change, don't follow Jesus. If you don't like transformation, if you like things just the way that they always are and never, never, never changing, never being any different, then, then don't be a disciple of Christ. Because as you follow Jesus, he's going to start changing some things in your life. I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, by the way, that's a beautiful picture of our position. We are in Christ. Talk about that in a moment. He is a new creature, a new creation. He has metamorphosed us. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That, that old nature is passed away. The body of sin, Paul said in Romans, has been destroyed. So the passing away happened in, a, happened in a moment. It happened in an instant. You and I were crucified with Christ. We were buried in Christ, and we rose again with him to walk in newness of life. And so now, because of who we are in Christ, the old is gone, and we are becoming new. We are becoming more and more who we already are in Christ. It's that process of growth and maturity that we talked about this morning. Old is passed away. All is becoming new. We are being transformed by God. God has given to us a new identity. We are no longer in sin or in Adam. If you understand the, the, the narrative of the Bible, the first man, the first woman, Adam was created in the image of God. And then he sinned. And his offspring were created in the image of Adam. So all of us in the lineage of Adam are created in the image of Adam. We have the nature of Adam. We are in Adam. And as, as in Adam all died, so in Christ all can be made alive. And so when we trusted Christ, we went, we, we, we changed identities. We went from being in Adam or in, in, that, in that state of sin that was Adam to now being placed in Christ. And so he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so where we were in Adam, where we were in sin, we have now been given a new identity in Christ. So we are now in Christ. We are in his righteousness. So we are not defined by our past. We are now defined by Christ. We're not defined by our sin anymore. We are defined by the nature of Christ. So when we see, the, when Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if any man be in Christ, understand positionally you have a new identity. And because of that new identity, you have new desires. You have new appetites. We used to sing a song in teen group, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. And it's true. But it's not because somebody came along and said, you need to start adding these moralistic things to the outside of your life. It's because the new nature of Christ within you, planted inside of you at the time of salvation, begins to bring forth the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of the Spirit of God. And now from the inside out, there is this transformation that you start looking around at your life and say, man, I used to do that and I don't want to do that. And I used to think that and now I don't have those thoughts. And I used to have those desires, but now I've got a new desire. And I used to spend my Sunday mornings a different way, but now I spend them in church. And I used to spend my conversations talking about this and that and things that didn't really matter. But now I just find myself talking about what God's doing in my life. 
And now all of a sudden there's a new desire because, because of a new identity. Because I'm in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God has been given to me, and that Holy Spirit is drawing me more and more to the righteousness of Christ, uh, the, that, that identity that I am, and now I am seeing new desires bearing out in my life. That new identity leads to new desires, which leads to a new purpose. Now fulfillment is no longer in me, and in a career, and in success, and in fame, and things that I can acquire, now true purpose is found in Christ and how I can serve him and how I can give to his kingdom and how I can further his gospel. And now maybe before it was, it was just about a retirement or maybe before it was just about climbing a corporate ladder. But now it's like, you know, those things, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but I've got a greater purpose. I've, I've got greater meaning and it's found in the gospel and it's found in the work of Christ and fulfilling that work through my life. Your relationship with Jesus has changed you. It has transformed you. And God's desire is not just that you would be transformed, but that, that he would continually be transforming you more and more. And so that the more time you spend with Jesus, the more people will look at your life like they looked at Peter and John and said, huh, that person, that man, that woman, they've, they've been with Jesus their life evidences something supernatural, something that is not of themselves. They must be a follower of Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I think of me, when I look to myself, I don't get very encouraged. I don't look at myself and think, boy, I've got, I've, I've got great things to offer God. But when I realize that God wants to use me and transform me and then bring glory to his name through my life, that encourages me. Because it's not me that encourages me. It's the fact that he is in me, empowering me and enabling me. That's what encourages me. And so we get to our story of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. These were just fishermen. These were just blue-collared workers. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. What a testimony. What a testimony. We see some things right here in this text that were obvious evidences of their relationship with Jesus. We see boldness. We see power. We see at the beginning of chapter 4 and at the end of chapter 3, there was, there was a willingness to proclaim and to preach the name of Jesus Christ. But I want to point out one characteristic that I believe is an evidence in the life of a Christian that you and I have been with Jesus. An evidence that the more time we spend with Jesus and the more we are transformed by a relationship with Jesus, that this will begin to, take, to, 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 to be formed into our lives and that this will become an evidence of our life. When you have been with Jesus, what is the transformation? How will it be manifest in our lives? Well, I believe that one of the greatest ways that God's presence in our life will be manifest is in the way that we treat other people. Our perspective toward people. Well, how do we see that in the life of Peter here? Well, first of all, I want you to understand that the Peter of the Gospels was a different Peter. You study the Gospels and you study the life of the disciples and you study Peter, 
they were following Jesus, they were listening to Jesus, they were observing miracles, but they were really bystanders in, 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 in the life of Christ. And there is no account of Peter having direct personal contact with people, compassionate contact with people. He's basically just following Jesus and kind of going with the flow. And this is kind of a cool teacher. And boy, he's saying some really neat things. And, and of course, we know that Peter said some good things. And Peter said some not so good things. And Peter had some good one-liners. And Peter also denied Christ. And there was a lot of back and forth with Peter. And I think of a story in Luke chapter 8. The woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years there was a crowd of people, and Jesus was moving through this crowd, and this woman had spent all of her life savings, all of her, all, all, all of her ability. She tried to put towards uh, seeing herself healed by the physicians, and, and nothing, nothing was, was healing that. And so she heard of this great physician, and she goes to hear him, and she goes to be there, and she presses through the crowd, and she, she realizes, hey, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And so she reaches out in the midst of the disciples and in the midst of the crowd and she touches the hem of Christ's garment and she's healed. Miraculously, instantaneously, she's healed. Of course, Jesus knows it and he turns around. He says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, Jesus, there's people everywhere. What do you mean? Everybody's touching you. What do you mean who touched you? But Jesus knew that virtue had gone out of him. And he wanted this woman to step forward and, and to confess and, and, and to make public what she had done. But we see right in that text, Peter. In Luke 8, 45, Jesus said, Who touched me when all denied? Peter, and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee. And sayest thou who touched me? It's as if Peter could not see the individual for the crowd. I don't know. Maybe I'm just speculating a little bit. Maybe he was caught up in the excitement of the movement and the masses and the crowds who wanted to hear Jesus. But Jesus was interested in the one, the individual woman whose life forever was changed. That was a different Peter than the Peter we see in Acts chapter 4 and in Acts chapter 3. Turn back in your Bible, if you would, to Acts chapter 3, because as I mentioned at the beginning, Acts chapter 4 is a continuation of what starts in Acts chapter 3. Same story, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man, he's not named here, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Notice, notice Peter here. This is a different Peter. And Peter, fastening his eyes, Fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, Jesus, or Peter rather, in this passage was a different Peter. Peter was not partial toward people. This was a certain man. He's an unnamed man. No doubt he was a man of very little status. He certainly was a man of no wealth. He was a man who could offer nothing to Peter, but that didn't matter to Peter. Because now Peter, who had been changed by a relationship with Christ, which we'll take a look at a little bit later, 
Peter, who is a different man, changed and transformed through a relationship with Christ, is now seeing people in a different way. Peter's not partial toward this man. I'm reminded of James in James chapter 2 when he talks about if anyone in your assembly be a, uh, come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel and there coming also a poor man in vile raiment and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing and say to him sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor stand thou there or sit here under my footstool are ye not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? James is saying don't be partial. Don't look at the one with wealth and status and prestige. Don't look at the one who can serve you as being better than the one who doesn't have anything and the one who can give you and offer you nothing in return. It's easy to see in the Bible, but what about in our lives? I understand there is a rise in homelessness coming to the state of Washington. And I think we saw some tents today somewhere even in town. You know what the tendency is for us to do? If we're not careful, we can look at them as the person who should stand over there or sit here under my footstool. And then we look at the business executive or we look at the person who sort of has it all together and we say, hey, come on down front. Hey, be a part of our church. Hey, join our club. Be a part of what we're doing. And all of a sudden, we've become partial. And James says, don't, don't do that. You've become judges of evil thoughts. Let me ask you, was Christ partial? Because if he wasn't partial, neither should we. And as we are, as we are transformed by a relationship with Jesus, we'll, we will begin to value what Jesus values, and Jesus values all people. Peter was not partial. Peter also was prioritizing this man over his schedule. Look at verse 1 of Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple. At the hour of prayer, they were going to church. They were about to do spiritual activity here. But they didn't let their schedule and they didn't let their routine get in the way of an opportunity to serve this man. You know, people can be really inconvenient, can't they? You know, I wish people could schedule their crises, right, Pastor? I, I wish people could just put that on your calendar and say, hey, at this time, on this day, I'm just going to have this problem. And you can, you can predict it and know that it's coming and be ready for it. People aren't that way. And our attitude should not be towards people that you are now an inconvenience to me. Because let, 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 me, let me let you in on something. We all inconvenienced Christ. But he willingly came and left his father's throne to come down to suffer for you and for me so that we could be brought into relationship with God through Jesus. And so Jesus was willing to be inconvenienced for you and for me, and a relationship with Christ will transform us so that we will allow ourselves to be inconvenienced for others. Peter was not partial. Peter was prioritizing this man over his schedule, and Peter was intentional in his relationship. I love the phrase that he fastened his eyes upon him. You know, eye contact can be pretty awkward. Do you find yourself trying to avoid eye contact with people? <laughs> you know, you go into Walmart, you just kind of look down, go and get what you need to do. And now they have the self-checkout lines. I love those self-checkout lines because you don't have to look at anybody. You can check out your own stuff, right? Yesterday I got on a plane. Planes are awkward. You know, you, you, you come down this narrow aisle, you sit in this little seat. Of course, I ended up in the middle. 
So I'm sitting here like this. I got somebody here. I got somebody. And, you, you know, you, you don't want to look at him because if you look at him, you got to talk to him, right? <laughs> but we, 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 don't, we don't tend to be intentional in our relationships. But I'm telling you something. As, as Jesus begins to transform and change you, you're going to find yourself being intentional in your relationships because you're no longer motivated by you and what feels comfortable or uncomfortable. You are now motivated by a, mo by a relationship with Christ because Christ was intentional with you. And now you want to be intentional towards others. And so now you're learning people's names and now you're becoming polite and now, now you're finding that you want to get to know your waiter or your waitress because they're a real person and they have a real soul and they have a real need. And so now you, you're beginning to see people the way that Christ sees people. It's a transformation that's taking place in your life. It's a transformation that took place in Peter's life. So the Peter of Luke chapter 8 is a different Peter from the Peter of Acts chapter 3. What happened? What changed? Where did, where did it start to make sense for Peter? Well, I believe it all clicked for Peter on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias during a conversation that he had with the risen Christ about a week after his resurrection. Peter made some bad decisions. Peter denied Christ. Peter got discouraged, maybe a little disillusioned. I don't know what all was going through the mind of Peter because he was definitely a go-getter. And he went after it, and it all just crumbled down underneath him. So he goes back to fishing. He goes back to his old lifestyle. And he's got some other fishermen there, and they're out on the water, and they're casting their nets, and they're fishing all night, no doubt worn out and tired and discouraged. Here comes Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. He's walking out on the shoreline of the Sea of Tiberias. And Peter recognizes Jesus and he jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore. And when he gets there, Jesus has breakfast ready. And Peter sits down and begins to eat with Jesus. By the way, Jesus was oftentimes having conversations around a meal. Because to have a meal with someone was to identify with someone. To have a meal with someone was to be intentional in your relationship with them. And so Peter and Jesus begin to have this meal. And I can only, I can only imagine how awkward that, that meal must have been for Peter. What, what does Jesus think about me right now? How does Jesus feel towards me? What, what's go, is, is there a place for me in, in the, the ministry of Jesus going forward? I've... I've disappointed him. I denied him. I left his side at his greatest time of need. These questions, no doubt, were plaguing Peter. But Jesus, in this conversation, asks him three questions. There's a lot that you can glean from these questions, but I want to give you one overarching idea from the three questions that Jesus asks Peter. He asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Jesus says, yeah, or Peter says, yeah, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. He asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. He says, feed my lambs. And he asks him a, a third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter, no doubt, is getting a little frustrated. He says, Lord, you know I love you. He says, Peter, feed my sheep. 
I don't think it's a coincidence that three times Peter denies and three times Jesus asks the same question. But here's what, I, here's what I want to point out from this conversation. And again, there's a lot you can pull from this passage. But there's one thing I want, you to, I want to pull out. Jesus was, was making a connection in the mind of Peter between his love for God and his love for people. His relationship with God and his relationship with people. Because when we depend on ourselves to fuel our ability to love people we'll get discouraged and we'll fall short. But when we depend on our love for God and our relationship with God and the love we have received from God, we will then be able to reciprocate that love to people. And so what it is, is it's this vertical relationship that is fueling this horizontal relationship. How do I love people? Be transformed by your relationship with God. Let the relationship you have with Jesus change the way you relate to others. And I believe that Jesus was helping Peter to see a very big picture, a very important picture here, that your love for God will be seen in how you love people. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Love others. Feed my sheep. We need to be careful that we don't treat people like projects. We don't view uh, people just based on their value and what they can do for us, but that we treat people like people and that we love people as God loves them and as we have been loved by God. And it really is a relational change that begins to take place in our life. Again, as I value Jesus, as I, am, as I, as I set my affections on Christ, it will change the way that I view people. Because if Jesus values people, and if I value what Jesus values, then I will value people because Jesus values people. If you feel that you're not valuing people the way that you should, then let me encourage you to set your affections on Christ. Set your affections on Jesus and allow your love for Jesus to change the way you love others. Jesus summed it up. I like bottom shelf teaching. I like teaching that just kind of has handles on it. You can put it in your pocket and you can take it with you on Monday morning. But Jesus does that in Matthew 22. Jesus says unto him, what, what, what's the greatest commandment? Here's the question. That's the question. Here's the answer. Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all of your faculty, with all of your being, with all of who you are, Love God. Set your affection vertically on God. And the second is like unto it. In other words, they're connected. I don't want to change what Jesus says here, but in my mind, it's almost like commandment 1A and commandment 1B. <laughs> it's like they're, they're connected to one another because as you love God, you will understand how to love others. By the way, don't try to love others if you don't first understand your love for God. Because it's my love for God that fuels my love for others. It's my affections towards Christ and my understanding of His affection toward me that fuels and enables me to understand how to love other people. So what's the application here? We love people from the gospel. We love people from the gospel. You see, Jesus is love. God is love. Jesus does not just do love. Jesus is 
love. So any expression of love is an expression of God. Love originated with God, for God is love. So where, where, does, that, where does that take us then? Where, where are we going with that? Okay. So any response of mine that is a loving response is ultimately a reflection of God who is love. So my love is just a reciprocation. It's just a reflection of the love I have received from God. So as I understand the gospel, the good news, as I understand what I have received, and as I understand how I have received it, I now have a way, a practical way of learning how to love others. So I have been unconditionally accepted in the gospel. There are no strings attached. Your relationship with God doesn't come with any strings. So your relationship with others should not come with any strings. How do I learn that kind of a love? Well, it's the love I've received from God. It's an, it's an unconditional love. I don't love you because I'm going to get something from you. I love you simply because God is love. It's unconditional. And so now I can offer complete forgiveness to you or to the one who has wronged me because I have received complete forgiveness. The gospel teaches me that I am totally and completely forgiven. You were forgiven one time. When you ask for forgiveness from God, it was a one-time act. The cross is total forgiveness for the believer. And so if someone has wronged me, if I love someone from the gospel, if someone has wronged me, I understand forgiveness because of the forgiveness I have received from God. I can now reciprocate and give that kind of a forgiveness towards someone else. And so now it's this unconditional acceptance. It's a sacrificial generosity. Well, where do I learn sacrificial generosity? I learn it from the gospel. So as I love people from the gospel, I look at the gospel and I see a sacrificial generosity. For God so loved that he gave. Generosity is just a, 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 a picture of the gospel. It's an expression of the gospel. So when we give, be it in an offering or to a, to, a, to a missionary, when we give to a brother or sister in need, we are expressing the gospel because the gospel was sacrificial and the gospel was generous. The gospel was so sacrificial that it cost Jesus his life. And so now as I love people from the gospel, I don't love them in a stingy way, because the gospel's not stingy. I love them in a generous, sacrificial, poured out kind of a way. I love them in a way that goes above and beyond my ability, and the grace of God enables me to do that. And so we love people from the gospel. So as you love God, and you receive that love from God, and you understand what you have received from God, you can now Offer that to others. And you can now learn how to love others sacrificially and unconditionally. And you can forgive when you never thought you could forgive. And you can, you can be sacrificial when you never thought you could be sacrificial. Because that is what you have received from God. And it's God at work in you, empowering you to live out that gospel toward others. You're loving people from the gospel. And then you're loving people to the gospel. You're loving people to the gospel. 
Again, any expression of love is an expression of God. The gospel is good news. It's not just good advice. It's good news. What makes it news? Well, the news is you don't have to do anything for it. Christ has done it on your behalf. And so as we love people from the gospel, we can then love people to the gospel and bring them into a relationship with Jesus. For he hath made him, God has made Jesus, to be sin for us. Think about that. Jesus became sin. He was not a sinner, but he became sin for us. Why? So that we might become or so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We don't become righteous, we are made righteous. Aren't you thankful for that? You, you couldn't do enough good things to become righteous. You, couldn't, you and I couldn't do enough things to become the righteousness of God, so we had to be made the righteousness of God. And here's the good news. Jesus became so that we could become. Jesus became our sin so that we could become his righteousness. That's our new nature. That's our new identity. And so we are loving people from the gospel. We are loving people to the gospel because the ultimate expression of love is when we, when we introduce someone to that, new, that good news. Jesus became our sin so that we could be made right with God. Peter and John, what was it about their life that evidenced the fact that they had been with Jesus. There are several things in that passage, and you could pull out several other applications, but I just want to bring out this one application. That in Acts chapter 3, we see a different Peter. A Peter post-Sea of Tiberias, who is beginning to make a connection between his love for God and his love for the sheep, his love for people. His relationship with God and his relationship with others. And, and I don't know that I can fully explain it, but here's what I've understood in my own life. As I have understood the gospel and as I have understood my relationship with Jesus Christ, it has changed the way that I treat people. And it's not because I'm so great and I've figured out all the keys to winning and influencing people, but it's because God is changing me on the inside. His love, His gospel, His truth, His grace, it's changing me internally, and that's beginning to show itself externally. And so now I'm finding myself being more patient. And I'm finding myself sitting in that plane seat and turning to that person and saying, hey, what's your name? What is it that's motivating that relationship, that horizontal relationship? It's the vertical relationship. Amen. It's the relationship that I have received because now I'm living a life that is purposeful and intentional in my relationship with people because ultimately I am one who has set, been set free who is now going back to the jail of sin, trying to find people who are still in bondage to sin and help them to understand that they can be released from that bondage and be set free as well. I am being changed and I have been changed by my relationship with Christ and now I want to help others to see that they can be changed by that relationship with Jesus as well. Your relationship with Christ will change you. When you've been with Jesus, your perspective toward others will change. I found that those who are most often sharing their faith are those who are walking in a close, abiding, affectionate relationship with Jesus. 
I have found that those who are often most generous with their finance and most generous with their time are those who are walking in a close relationship with Jesus. I have found that those who maybe leave the unknown to go to a city or to go to a foreign field to uproot their family and to plant their lives into a new work are those who are being affected and changed and transformed by a relationship with Jesus. It's not something great about them. It's something great about God that is just taking over their lives. And I don't think it's any coincidence that there's a direct correlation between their relation and their affections with Jesus and their relationship and affections towards other people. It's a direct line from my relationship with God to my relationship with people. I have found that when I am drifting in my relationship with Jesus, I often stop loving people the way that I should. When I find myself becoming short with my wife, with my kids, with others, when I, when, when I don't feel like there is that compassion in my heart, I go back to God. I go back to the vertical relationship. And I say, God, help me to see you for who you are, to be affected again by your gospel, to be transformed and to be changed more and more into the image of you. And then I go from this relationship back to these relationships, and I find that they are affected and they are changed because of Jesus. Not because I've read a great book on winning friends and influencing people, not because I've just determined with more grit that I'm going to love people, but because I'm allowing that relationship to change these relationships. And I believe God wants to do that in each one of our lives. If you don't want to change, don't follow Jesus. I'm just warning you. <laughs> if you don't want transformation in your life, don't spend time with Jesus. But if you do, if you do, want to see that transformative work from the inside out, then spend time with Him and be changed by your relationship with God and let that relationship change the way you relate to others. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. And Lord, we want to set our affection on Jesus. We want to look unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith. We want to continually be transformed by the message of Your gospel and the truth that You have set us free. And Lord, any time we find our relationship with people and any time we find our, our, our generosity lacking and any time we find our, in ourselves an unwillingness to forgive, help us to go back to our relationship with you and find forgiveness and acceptance and grace and love from you and then go to our relationships with others and display that same kind of a relationship with them. Lord, change us. Transform us. A disciple is one who is following Jesus, who is being transformed by Jesus, and who is walking with Jesus in day-to-day -day mission, living out the life of Christ and sharing that with others. We want to be disciples of you. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us and change us to that end, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.